Well, we are um, going to begin Matthew in three weeks, so we're going to spend some time looking through Matthew, but maybe decided to spend a few weeks talking about uh, the church, talking about uh, the church as a whole, collectively, uh, maybe a little bit about what Revolution 22 is doing. Now, I want to be very clear about this. We're going to be very broad, and, and any believing, Jesus-believing, Bible-teaching church is going to be kind of what we're going to talk about. So it's not going to be something like, wow, they're they love Jesus, and they talk about God. Like, that should be fairly common for his church. So, so though, like, a couple things, like, revolution is, is, is the name that, that, that we have, and, and the whole point was that Jesus began a revolution a long time ago. We don't need to start a new one. We don't need to try and make something happen, but revolution is, is that we are just going to take part in the revolution that he has done. And, and at some point, the only one that will ever re-revolutionize that revolution is Jesus himself when he comes back again. And so our role is just to take part in that. The 22 is out of Matthew 22, love God and love others, and we'll, we'll spend a bunch of time talking about that. But before we get to there, um, I feel like we need to deal with a really, really big issue um, at, at the church as a whole. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in Ephesians 2. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me there to Ephesians 2. If you don't, slip your hands up. The ushers will get you one. Um, but really, um, th- this issue is that all of us are dealing with it either on a personal level or on a relational level, meaning someone we are in close relationship with deals with this or struggles with this or fights with this. And really what it comes down to is it's a commitment issue. See, there are people all over, people that are here today that are running, running from God. And how they're running from him is basically what they're saying is, I love Jesus, but I'm running from the church. And I'm tired of the church and I'm done with the church. And so for us to even talk about what we believe the church is supposed to do, we have to deal with a few issues, a few roadblocks, a few um, struggles that all of us have with the church as a whole. And so um, this, this really comes down to this. I just thought about it um, yesterday. I was thinking of, so Josh is, is up here. He's who helped him and I started this church together. And, and he's married to Tabitha. And, and Josh and I's relationship, like he's, like my wife jokes about him being my second wife, but really we know I'm probably the girl in the relationship, so it's okay. But either way, um, I wear more pink than he does. But either way, the, the point is, is, is that I love Josh. I love him so much. My relationship is only so good with him if I don't like Tabitha, right? Like I cannot truly love Josh if I despise Tab because by the covenant alone that we say before God, when two are married, they become one. And, and some of you are like, yeah, but I have that friend that I like a lot, but his wife drives me crazy and I just can't handle it. If that was the case for Josh and I, our relationship would only get so far. In fact, I would say our relationship isn't true because if I truly loved Josh and I truly valued him, I would value and love Tabitha as well. Knowing that, I mean, if we're honest, really, she's what makes him awesome. So, um, <laughs> but here's the issue. <laughs> here's the issue. So many of us, we love Jesus for his head, but we hate his body. Now, that sounds weird, but so many of us use him for his head, and we hate his body. And there are, if, I can't tell you how many times I hear this over and over and over again, and it's, it's, it's sad, especially as they spend time studying. It's sad how many people are running from the church. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the church, in at least American church, has done a really good job of pushing people away as well. But the issue is, is, that, is that they're not separate. See, Jesus cried for the church, the Jesus that we were just talking about and praying for and and singing to and the one that we we claim everything for. He died for the church. God took Jesus and put his head over the body, which is us, the church. So to separate them is to, to destroy a covenant that was made by God. 
before God. To, to, to push him away is an issue. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to talk about the church. I truly, truly believe, I truly believe that the church is the most beautiful thing in the world. And he, but here's the, here's the thing. There's three hurdles that we have to do with that. First is what is the church? I need to clarify this. Revolution 22 is not the church. We are part of the church. Okay, we are an extension of the church. In fact, there are a bunch of Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches all over the valley right now, com community together, and we are a part of one church, great church. In fact, I want to be really clear, the church is not a building. This is a school we're setting up and tearing down in. This is a school that, that, that is honestly fairly hostile to, to religion or Christianity. This is not any more a holy place than, than sitting outside or at some other church. The church is not a building. In fact, the New Jerusalem isn't, isn't a place, it's a people. So God is not making a church and a building, he's making a people. So we need to be very clear that the church, first off, is Big C Church, is a collective. That is, that is everyone that is, is preaching and, and showing the, uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's the church. And then there are the local churches and the extensions, and that's, that's us. We're an extension of God's church. There are many other extensions of God's church, and let me just be very clear on this. There is nowhere in this book, I have not found it anywhere in this book, where we compete with other churches. In fact, that's silly. You ever sat down and you started talking about how your church is better than someone else's church? That's not in there. Second thing is, is, that, is, that, is that why do we really need the church? second hurdle we really need, and we'll get to the third one in a second, but why do we really, why do we need the church? See, and I believe, I would argue, I would contend with you that the church doing what it's supposed to do is the best thing in the world. In fact, I would argue, and as we look at the text, we realize that, that that's God's plan. So, so to not be a part of it is, is an issue. Now remember, and this is where it's gonna be hard for us, the church is not an organization. The church is a people. The church is not an organization, the church is a people. Some of the most amazing things that can happen in this world, I believe, come through the church. But then here's the third hurdle. And here's the, this is the one that, that some of you right now, you're, you're clinching your seat trying to decide if you want to leave, is that the church sucks at times. Some of you guys in here have been seriously hurt by people that have expressed themselves as an extension of the church, and you've been crushed. By, by, by either well-meaning, arrogant, ignorant people standing where I am right now saying wrong things, doing wrong things. And some of these are very justifiable. But the problem with that is that so many of us are hurt sometimes is that we're rejecting. We're rejecting Christ right now because of past hurts, because of what someone did or didn't do at another organization that bears Christ's name. We're going to talk a lot more about that, but let me just give you guys, a, we'll get there in a second, but let me give you kind of the synopsis to make you sit, feel a little bit better about where we're going. The church is not perfect. It's not perfect because if it's people, it's not going to be perfect. In fact, could you imagine the weight that any one person that was not a part of God's kingdom would feel if they had to come to a perfect church? They would look at that and go, oh, man, I'm, I'm never going to make it there. And none of us would be welcome because once we showed up, it would no longer be perfect. The church is a mess, and I'll, I'll admit that, and, and I want you to know, like, this isn't, we're a mess. Our little extension's a mess. If we haven't upset you or frustrated you, just, just give us some time. It'll happen, I promise. 
Okay? Something's going to happen. You're going to be like, I don't like that. Maybe even today. But first things, if you would, let's turn to, let's turn to Ephesians 2, 17 through 22 is where we're going to be today. Ephesians 2. This is so he's talking about one in Christ, and he's been, basically Paul is, is writing to the church of Ephesus, which actually we just finished 1 John. That letter was probably there too. And, and what he's doing is he's setting up this idea of there was a big issue of Jew and Gentile. So Jew, Jews historically and what we see in the Old Testament were the chosen people of God. But when Jesus came, he, he kind of crushed that idea that it was just one, one group of people and opened it up to Gentiles, which actually all of us would be essentially Gentiles. And so what he's doing now is he's saying this, and this is huge. In 17, he says, And he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So what he's saying here is, is I want to be really clear. So what he's saying is essentially Jews were in this, we see earlier in this text, they were working themselves really hard to try and get to God. They had all these rules and, and things that they could do to, to, to make it to God. And, and Gentiles were going, I'll never even come close because I wasn't raised in that. I wasn't born in that. And so what he's doing is he's saying, look, no, no, you can't work yourself to God. That's where he gets ahead of us. It doesn't happen. In fact, you were a stranger and an alien. And to us, that, that seems weird. But essentially what that meant is they had absolutely no rights. They have absolutely no rights. So a Gentile had no rights in, the, in the, the temple of God in that regard. They had no rights in the, in the structure of religion that was in place to come to God. So for them, it was always on the outside looking in. And what he's saying is, you were strangers. You were, were aliens. But because of what Jesus did, no more. You're a part of God's kingdom. You're a part of his family. See, Jesus in the gospel saved those who are near and those who are far. Now, the idea of near and far, again, this was, this was people were far, meaning they'd never been a part of the church. Gentiles, they were far. They, they didn't know it. He saved them as well as those who were near. Raised in church. Maybe a, a, a today context would be you've spent a lot of time in the church. You've gone to church. You were raised in church. You went to Bible study classes all your time. And somewhere along the way, Jesus saved you. You were near but he saved you. He captured your heart and it no longer became your parents' faith. It no longer became something you just do. It became who you are. And for those of you that are far, it's like for you, it's like I was never in the church. I didn't even know the church. In fact, today is my first time being at a church. And you were so far from God and you thought there's nothing in there for me and I don't have any desire to be a part of it. You weren't raised in it and people use words. You're like, I don't even know what that means. And I said, turn to Ephesians. You're like, what? And you don't even know what page that's on. And, and you were so far, but at some point you recognize that no matter how far you were, God was always close enough. And you surrendered your life. He captured your heart and he changed you. And he said, I am a messed up addict person. I am a horrible person that, that, that doesn't deserve anything. But in the middle of that, God saved you so you were far. And then there's some of us that are in the middle where we've, we're like these Jews. We tried and tried and tried and tried to make it to God and realized sooner or later along the way we can't do it. And we finally just surrender ourselves. So, so what Jesus does, he takes those who are far and those who are near and he brings us together. So that's what this text is saying here. He's saying those who are far and near. See, God has... And through, this, through, the, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he's, he's brought us all there. See, what, basically what God says in this text, what he's saying here, what Paul's saying to us is, is, that, is that you were aliens, 
but now you're home. Now, if you've ever been on vacation or if you've ever been without a home or if you've ever ever been at someone else's place, you, you were waiting and, and being, maybe very few of us probably have ever dealt with not actually having a home, but some have and I know that. Home feels really good. And what, what Paul's saying to these people that were far and these people that are near is, hey, in Christ, you're home. No more, no more, where do I put my head at night? No more, no more, am I a part of anything? No, in Christ, you're home. You're home. This is your home. But see, here's the problem with this home. Is the church as a, as a people is a mess. Because we have people who are far and people who are near to God and they show up at the same place. And one person's showing up going, I don't really know who God is, but I know he saved me, but um, pass, pass me uh, um, some more drugs. And there's another person over here going, well, how dare you? You can't drink at all because I've been in the church forever and you're legalistic and, and you run. And we have this wide gamut of various types of people from near and far coming together trying to do church. No wonder it's a mess. And praise God, it's a mess. Various group of people from vastly different backgrounds at incredibly different spots but here's the thing, and the reason why it works is because it's not an organization, and it's not a, be, uh, not a building. It's a relationship. So a relationship can, can, can beat all of those odds. An organization never will. See, the church is full of infants and mature people. Near and far, I would say, maybe some of you, like I said, you've, you've spent so much time in the church that you've studied this text a billion more times than me, you should be up here teaching it. And some of you, like I said, you don't even know how to pronounce Ephesians. But here's the issue. Just because you've been in the church for a very long time and you could, you could tell me all about this doesn't mean you're mature in your faith. In fact, the church is full of infants who can shave. The church is full of people that have been around the church forever but really have no idea who Jesus is or what his, what his gospel message means. They don't get his grace. And so here's the issue. Someone shows up that's an infant or someone that comes in, and honestly, it's a lot easier for people that haven't spent any time in the church at all. But someone shows up that spent some time in the church and they have expectations of what the church is to look like. And they just assume that just because everyone's here that we're all on the same page or because they, they serve sometimes that, they, that they're mature in their faith. But the church isn't that. The church is, is at any point is, is full of infants and people that are maturing and all of us are growing. And some of us are so impatient, we want infants to act like 10-year-olds. Parents, I bet you know that feeling. I ask my four-year-old to act like a 14-year-old all the time. And then I regret it and ask her to go back to four-year-old. But see, here's, and here's where the church has failed. We want infants to act like adults, but we, we, we don't actually engage in parenting them. We, we, we let go of parenting and just say, well, you just, here, put this external thing on and pretend like everything's good and, and just fit the mold. Uh, Matt Chandler of the Village Church said, babies, when he's talking about spiritual immaturity, he said, babies should be celebrated, not resented. So that means when you're sitting in, in church with someone and you're, you go out and you're hanging out in a gospel community, you're serving with someone and they say the absolute wrong things and they're doing the wrong things and they're, they're, they're just a mess. Instead of resenting them, you should be celebrating the fact that they're there and you have an opportunity to disciple them. 
Spiritual babies could be very church people. We're called to patiently and graciously walk with one another. And here's the thing, and this is why I think the church, and we'll get there in a second, this is why I think the church is so important, is that our immaturity is most defined, most, we become most aware of it when we have a community of people around us. Because what happens is I say something and I realize, oh, that wasn't wrong or that wasn't right. And, and the person that next to me is in community with me loves me and says, hey, Brent, that doesn't say that here. This, is, this isn't biblical. Our immaturity is, is defined in community. And that's why a lot of us run from community. Because some of us, like Paul said, we love milk. We love milk instead of meat and potatoes. And so we run from community because we don't want our immaturity to show too much. So the, per- the church is people near and far, baby and adult, being members of what? God's household. God's household. See, we are, we are one household. And this is where I think, and people wrestle with this, and this is why we wrestle. When anyone starts talking about church membership or ownership or any becoming a part of church, everyone goes, and they, they back up, or a lot of people back up. There is scripture after scripture after scripture where God saved us to be a people group, not an individual free solo person running on our own. Verses 20 to 22. How is he building us together? I want to get, we'll get a little bit further in here. Verses 20 and 22 in, in chapter two. Built on. So we're, we're members of the household of God. And what are we built on? We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is building us together. How is he building us together? He uses the word apostles and prophets. And I would say this is probably big A apostles and prophets, meaning the ones that were, that were the prophets in the Old Testament that were just basically speaking out our scriptures for us. The apostles that were connected to Jesus, the original 12. And he basically saying on the foundation of them, which is all they were essentially doing was the word of God, scripture. On the foundations of what they say, we are being built together. I want to be clear on this, and this is something that we need to say in churches. Um, Me or Josh or any other man has no authority more so than anyone else. I can't stand on any authority other than the Word of God. Now, the Word of God does define authority, and it puts out roles for institutions and organizations and actually individuals for authority, but that authority is supposed to look like Christ. But we are founded on this. And the word authority is, is really hard for all of us because here's the thing. Most of the time you and I or people run from the church because they don't like what this says. Most of the time the church has, has mis, misinterpreted what this is. Someone's standing up, they misinterpret it and they're using it for their own gain. But he's saying our foundation is the word of God. So, so let me just be really clear. If you're, if you're not sure what church you're going to go to, if they're not founded on the Word of God, run. If they're not spending time here looking at this together, then run. Don't be a part of it. But then he says something that is unbelievable, and I think what will bring clarity, hopefully, to all of this. He says, not only are we founded on the Word of God, or the apostles and prophets have taught, but what? We're founded on the cornerstone, which is really, really good worship music, or a great kids' ministry or a fantastic Bible study, or the right men's ministry, or a certain injustice. No, he says on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. 
So if the church isn't founded on that, everything else crumbles. Nothing else makes sense. The word of God does give us authority and gives institution. The big apostles, the word of God tells us as apostles that we are to follow it, obey it. But the foundational piece, the foundational piece that makes all of this work is Jesus Christ. The foundation. Without him, doesn't work. In Christ, we can, exp- we can experience, not just identify or know, but experience the grace of God. So here's how this works. Here's why I think Christ being the center, the cornerstone actually makes sense of all the hindrances and issues we have of the church messing up, okay? I, I will offend you. You will be hurt. People will get frustrated. There's not going to be someone to show up to set up, and you're going to get mad about them. Someone's going to eat your last pastry that you really wanted, and it was tasty, right? We're going we're gonna to irritate each other and rub each other wrong. That's, that's, that's just the, the case. The church is always going to do that because the church is people, right? And if you spend enough time with people, you're going to figure out how to really rub each other wrong. You're going to know what, what bothers each other. But here's how it's foundational. In Christ, in Christ, if he's the cornerstone, you experience grace so that you can extend grace. Without Christ, we don't have any understanding of what grace looks like and therefore would be incapable of extending grace. So, at your worst, when you were ugly, horrible, addict, uh, uh, stuck in addiction, stuck in a horrible relationship, stuck in completely separated from God, in a horrible position, at your worst, you know what God did? Is he renamed you. When you surrendered him, he, he made you a new creation. He no longer calls you addict. He calls you redeemed. He no longer looks at you for all your sins. He says, no, 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 you're my beloved. And so what he did is he extended an immense amount of grace to you. In fact, Romans 5, 8, 5, 6 through 8 says, for while you were still weak, at the right time Christ died for you, for the ungodly. You, ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, de- would dare even to die. But God shows his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That grace makes no sense. But if Christ is the foundation, if Christ is the foundation, then I can now, because I've experienced that grace, I can now extend grace. So if we're to be the church and we're supposed to be moving forward, then what I can do is I can deal with with annoying people because Christ dealt with me. I can, I can handle the brokenness of everyone else because, because Christ looked at my brokenness and said, no, no, I will put you back together. See, since we've experienced his lavishing grace, then we can move to obedience to his word, which then means don't you dare run from his body. Obedience to his word and actually live in that. I want to real quickly say something that's important. He says, join together. And I I promise we'll close it in and make a little bit more sense of this. In verse 21, he uses the word join together. And this is a very, very key, key thing. See, because what God did through Christ as the cornerstone is he took those who were far, those who were near, those who were complete, horrible addicts, murderers, any kind of person, and he renewed them and joined them together. That's why the only thing that could hold us together is his grace. 
And here's the thing. If you, are, if you lack grace in your life, I, I would contend with you that you don't understand God's grace. If you have a hard time extending grace to people that have hurt you, then you've, you've, you're missing the point of what God has done for you through Christ. So then that means, okay, well, I don't really like this person. They're annoying. Well, you know what? We're joined together. That person is as much your problem as it is someone else's. We're joined together. So why is God building a people together? Why would he do it? I think we get, we get that answer in Ephesians. Ephesians 3.10, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you guys. It says, right after God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That word manifold means varied, many. We also see in Matthew 5.13 that we're called to be salt and light to this world. So why would God join a group together? Because of two things, to display his manifold wisdom and to be salt and light to this world. And there are plenty of other verses that talk about it. Plenty of other verses that talk about it. Why would he do that? The word of God has been given to us to shape the people of God so that in obedience to the word of God, we begin to reveal the manifold wisdom of God and be salt and light to the world. Displaying the manifold wisdom of God with Christ as the cornerstone of it all, we become a place of refuge and hope. Does it make sense? You can't display a manifold, you cannot display the manifold wisdom of God if you are solo, by yourself. You are one version. You're on your own. God has brought us together so that the church can display his wisdom. So that the church can be salt and light to the world. But to do that, we need to belong to each other. We need to actually see some value in commitment with each other. And that's where everyone tenses up again. A place where mature can grow to be more mature where infants are celebrated and walked with to grow up in their faith so that in that, in that we can display the manifold wisdom of God. But this goes back to that third hurt and why most of us won't commit and why most of us think commitment is just keeping everyone at arm's length is that you've been hurt. And probably, you know what, in all honesty, really hurt. And I don't want to diminish that hurt. I bet some people have done some horrible things to you in the past. I said whether they were well-meaning or ignorant or arrogant or prideful, people that, that bared the name of his church, and they've hurt you. Maybe they've even crushed you. In fact, some of you know right now you're thinking of a friend that is just bitter and mad and unforgiveness is just is in their heart because they've been hurt and crushed and beat up. And I bet it was a legitimate offense. But forgiveness means that there was a legitimate offense. So then we can give legitimate forgiveness. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. We will never display as a community the hope of Jesus, the hope of, of who he is, if we don't understand that we need each other. This whole idea that, like, I love Jesus for his head but don't need anyone else is, is wrong. In fact, you've believed a lie. I think that's the enemy's biggest idea is to, to take the church and diminish its value, diminish its convictions of truth, 
to push against, to push against, to push against, to make things seem intolerant. So let's say you've been hurt. You've been hurt by a church when you were little, last week, a year ago, two years ago, six years ago. Your bitterness or anger or resentment to that place is not doing anything to them, but everything to you and the relationships around you. Your hurt that you are carrying doesn't affect the place or the people that hurt you. It affects you. And you know what? As you get older and the more responsibility you have, it affects those you love around you. If you've experienced God's grace and he's the cornerstone of your life, then you can extend his grace. Our relationship with God is covenantal. then that means our relationship with each other is covenantal. You can't separate those two. In fact, in the New Testament alone, over 55 times we hear one another, one another, love one another, serve one another, bear one another. We see one another, one another. Why would he say one another if he wanted us to walk alone? Why would he, why would he have so many commands of us to do things together if, if, he, if he just wanted to say, nope, you know, it's just me and you, we're good. So some of you need to deal with your hurts. Get counseling. Spend some time in prayer. Allow community to come around you. But don't let some past institutions' failures dictate your walk with Christ today. Don't allow some person that has hurt you ruin the people God has around you. I would contend with you. That, 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 that those issues, those hurts are real and just because you forgive them doesn't mean that they're not real. But again, most of your issues you may be having in your relationships right now is because you have that root of bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart. If we are going to be a people that displays the manifold wisdom of God, if we are going to be a people that, that is the salt and light to this world, then we have got to be a people that are willing to just do that. Be a people. Be his church. Come together. And here's why. When you're around people, like I said earlier, you display, your, your immaturity is most defined, but also here's the best part. Our most growing times are with other people around us. In fact, have you ever seen, if you've ever experienced a hardship in your life, I guess I should say this, forgive me, sometimes you've experienced hardships and the church has not done its job. But if you've ever been a part of a community and you've gone through something hard, really hard, it is unbelievable the love that you feel. I believe God loves us most tangibly by the people he puts around us. If we're truly devoted to one another and devoted to God, then, then there is no lack in love or need when it comes to those times. But if you are isolated, if you are separate, then you have to call the church and be like, hey, I, you don't know me, but I'm, I'm really struggling right now and things are going on, but, and, and there's no guarantee, unfortunately. Because Josh and I, as, as organized as we are, we're gonna fail you over and over and over again. But if you have people around you, they already know what's going on. They're already pointing you to scripture. They're already saying, look, dude, you're, you're, you're missing it. You're alone, you're, you're, you're one step away from it. In fact, if you're isolated, the enemy has you right where he wants you to be. And you've maybe masked your isolation 
We, we mask our isolation as, I'm okay because I'm just with Jesus and everything's fine. And, and the enemy's going, yes. Yeah, do that. Just get on your own. God's tangible love is most often manifested from his saints. Jen and I, I didn't even ask her if I can share this. I hope I can. Um, wow. I'm going to go with it. I'll ask forgiveness later. Uh, we uh, had a, a whoops, which whatever, we, we had gotten pregnant a while ago. And, um, and she ended up miscarrying, which God's in control. It's great. The most beautiful thing was, the most beautiful thing, and I look back at this over and over again, it just was miraculous. We were at dinner at our house with Dale and Sheila, one of the elders here. And, and that was right when Jen found out. And so we were able to sit and cry and love with community and people around us. If they weren't there, we'd have just been on our own. We had to call someone. But because we have people that know us and invest in us and we feel safe with them, I could just say, look, what's going on? And they were just able to encourage us and love us and pray for us. God's most tangible love for you is waiting for you to be connected to the thing that he loves and died for his church, his bride. So why? Why would we run from the very thing? Why would we use busyness or, or past hurts or the ways it's failed us or the, ways that, the things that we don't like because its music isn't good or, or we aren't connected, we don't like the kids' ministry? Why would we use all of those things to isolate ourselves from the very thing that God wants to do in us and through us Obviously, I believed in the church. Well, I hope I did. We started to plant one. But as we studied this last month, this time, I realized that it is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. And, and I want to just say from the front, maybe you need to hear this from someone that, that bears the name as pastor, is, is, is helping lead a church with Josh. Forgive. Forgive the church for all the screw-ups. Forgive the men and women that have been ahead of you that have just failed you. Forgive them. Let's move forward. Let's display the many, many, many ways of God's knowledge and wisdom to the world around us because we are not content with being isolated. We are not content with just walking around, pretending like we're connected. We have an intro class, and the band's going to come up. We're going to close. We had an intro class, and again, I just... I want you to hear this. This is not like, hey, get in here or go away. Like, no, this is get involved in a community. Invest. You know what? I would even say submit. Oh, man, that word hurts us. Submit to a community. Submit to one another out of reverence for who? For Christ, the cornerstone. And get involved. We do an intro class where we talk about how to get more plugged in and valued here as we call them owners or whatever. And one of the couples came to the class and we, we kind of commit like, Look, we want to follow up with you. Either you're going to be here or we want to help you get involved in another community because it's too important to just fall away. It's too important to not do that. And got together with them uh, about a month afterwards, actually him, and him and I were talking. And after our intro class, he realized that he had left a community to come here all for the wrong reasons. He's like, man, we, 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 made, we made a poor choice. We left for every reason that, is, that isn't biblical and we left for the wrong reasons and therefore we're back. We're going back there and we're, we're investing there. And I'm like, praise God. This isn't about you becoming a, a member owner here. This is about you believing and taking not 
not taking lightly your covenant to God, which includes a community of people around you. So would you just allow yourself to begin the process of opening up and getting obliterated? Trust me, you'll get hurt so bad so many times because we're all messed up. We're all broken people, ruining each other's lives one, one day at a time. But when, but when, hear me on this, when Christ is the cornerstone, the head, and his body rallies around that, it is the most beautiful picture of hope, love, restoration, and grace that anyone will ever experience or see in a tangible way on this world that is so messed up. Think what a community can do in injustice. Not that injustice is the, is the cornerstone Christ is, but when a community rallies around Christ and his work in injustice, walls are broken down. Think what a community can do in your restoration. Honestly, some of you need to be restored. Your faith is, is, is waffling because you've been so isolated and you felt like, I can just go to a place because I like their music or I like to just feel good every now and then. And you've not in any way allowed a community of people to come around you, and I would say invasively around you where they could look at you and say, look, that is not, that, look, this is, this is what the Bible says. Truth. You're believing a lie, and we can graciously, lovingly walk with each other. Let me pray. God, I know that today's um, message was meant to be about six weeks worth of information, so I pray um, that you would just change our hearts, change our hearts to recognize that your bride is, is valuable. And how dare we assume that we could love you without loving your bride? How dare we assume that we are strong enough to do this on our own? That is just silly. Yeah, forgive us for believing the lies that isolation is, is the way. Forgive us for believing the lies that, that we don't need to submit to anyone, that we don't need to obey your word, God. Yeah, would you make your church shine brighter than this world in a time when, when this world needs so much light, God? God, would the church not shy back and become dim, but would we, would we as your people rise up? Would you, would you begin to, to burn in us a desire to live in right standing with you and, and it, that something that you and your spirit can only do, but God, in a way that we do it with other people and it's messy and it hurts and it stinks, but God, you bring so much joy in it. Yeah, for those that are hurt, those that have been destroyed by, by past um, people that bear your name, God, would you bring forgiveness in a way that only you could? Would you remind us of the forgiveness that you have for us? We weren't worthy of that. We don't deserve that. We didn't earn that, God. Forgive us for thinking that someone else has to earn that forgiveness from us. God, as we look at, at being a, a place that, that makes much of Jesus Christ, makes much of, of, of him and his work, God, would you never let us waffle from that? Would you never let us run from that? Would you never let us get that watered down? Would we be faithful to it? And Lord, when we're frustrated and we're mad and we want to fight, God, would we fight in a way that honors you? God, would you please restore in each of us, renew in each of us a hope to be your bride? You called us to it, and we can't just be a hand or a mouth. We need each other. In fact, you somehow, some way, display your knowledge more so when we are together. It's the only way we can see more of who you are is when we are together. So I thank you for that, and, and I ask God, would you please, please draw us together? And as more hurts come, would you just help us to understand that we can extend grace because you extended grace? 
would you help us to understand that to be salt and light, it means that we have to live with each other in this broken world. And until you come again to make all things new, God, would you bring your kingdom now? Would it wreck down in, in, in the community we're in? Would it, would it break in our hearts? God, for those that have been just waffling in their faith with you, they feel dead, they feel bored, they feel content, but not in a good way. God, would you just renew in them your love? Would you remind them that what you did through Jesus Christ was no small task. It was a massive undertaking and you did it for them. You did it for us when we didn't deserve it. God, would you please forgive us for not believing the value of what you put in place? Would you forgive us for moving forward in resentment and bitterness? God, would you forgive us for making light the things that you say are not light? We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.